Welcome to another Charity Chat podcast. I'm your host, Osman Mughal, and I'm delighted to be speaking with Sam Butler, Head of Public Fundraising, and Kev Mounts, Head of Partnerships and Philanthropy at Starlight Children's Foundation. In today's conversation with Sam and Kev, we discuss a wide range of topics, including how Starlight has successfully navigated through the pandemic, from running a successful emergency campaign to obtaining transformational gifts from trusts and foundations. We also touch on the challenges which COVID-19 has presented and ways in which Starlight have overcome these. Sam and Kev also share examples how the organisation has continued to develop an empowering organisational culture despite remote working. We also look to the future and Sam and Kev share their thoughts on what area Starlight will focus on in the coming months and years ahead. This podcast is brought to you by our platinum sponsor, Charity People. So without further ado, let's get into the podcast. Sam and Kev, it's great for you to join us today on Charity Chat and it's great to have you on. Before we get into the challenges and opportunities that the last year has presented us with, could you outline the work of Starlight Children's Foundation? What are the aims and objectives of the organisation and what are your roles? Hi Esmond, uh, thank you for having us. Uh, so Starlight, we use the power of play to improve the physical, emotional and uh, mental well-being of a child and their family during illness. Uh, and we've got kind of three key strands to our strategy which help us to do that. So I won't I won't go into too much detail, but fair top line. Uh, pillar number one is kind of we improve the hospital experience. So there's a lot of evidence around how play and distraction can help uh, not just with the immediate uh, well-being in terms of reducing fear and distress around treatment, but also improve long-term engagement with treatment and therefore long-term health outcomes. Pillar two is about creating moments for social connection. Um, so we've all learned over the last kind of 12 to 18 months how important social connection is. Uh, it, it provides uh, opportunities to improve well-being by providing lots of physical and mental benefits, including increasing cognitive ability, communication skills, and even independence. And then our third uh, pillar is around listening, learning, and sharing knowledge. So we know that children are the real experts and when children are in hospital, often a lot of their autonomy is, is taken away from them. So we are really keen to kind of uh, amplify those hidden voices of children and uh, collaborate with professionals, parents and carers um, and empower them all to kind of play their own role in improving uh, children's well-being. In terms of uh, roles, um, my role is Head of Partnerships and Philanthropy, so I look after all of our uh, major giving relationships, so that's kind of individual major supporters, that's trusts and foundations, special events and corporate partnerships. And I'm Sam Butler and I'm Head of Public Fundraising, so I look after community, um, challenge events, legacies and individual giving. Brilliant, thanks a lot Sam and Kev for that brief introduction. I now want to delve into the impact of COVID-19 and I know that Starlight Children's Foundation has had a particularly successful year. So I wanted to 
tease that out a little bit and what that meant for your organization. So what have been the key opportunities and successes in the last 12 months in light of COVID-19? And how have you as an organization been able to take advantage of such opportunities? I would say that we were very fortunate in terms of where Starlight was in, in, in the kind of coming into that sort of January, February, March time of 2020. Um, I started in September 2019 um, in the head of public fundraising role and the remit was very much to kind of take Starlight from quite a kind of introverted period of culture where they've been doing a lot of work on infrastructure, governance, processes, policies, um, and begin to kind of take them back out towards kind of engaging the public um, with fundraising products. Um, so looking at what was required initially was that, that the website needed quite a little bit of work. Um, the donation portal needed quite a bit of work. And the kind, I, I guess the kind of the, the thought process and beginning to put those things into place and see them come into fruition and we had a really good donation portal set up. There's some nice bits of PR. We worked with a company called 104 who helped us develop that. And it went from, you know, that very sort of, I'd say sort of 90s, noughties centric. You know, if you wanted to set up a direct debit, you download a PDF, print it off, send it in through the post, and then the direct debit would be set up um, to being able to just do that aut automated through the, through the actual donation portal. Google Pay, Apple Pay, Stripe, um, all those kind of pay processes being set up and that the, the kind of back-end stuff was linking up um, with the website and I guess like any kind of role that I approached sort of developing those relationships with key stakeholders internally and externally um, there was a really good heads team um, good relationship with the head of brand comms good relationship with the head of IT and CRM so that kind of project moved really really swiftly and meant that we were in a good place so as we went into lockdown and all started working remotely um, we had an appeal that was prepped to go out in April, as usual, um, and we just moved very, very quickly on kind of repurposing that as a as an emergency appeal, looking at the digital integration that was part of our kind of remit and lots of other digital tools that I'd kind of built into a what was going to be a sort of three-year strategy um, to kind of suddenly say, right, these, these aspects of that three-year strategy need to be pulled together now, we need to get out, and we had some really um, key external sort of stakeholders that came in to help us deliver that quickly. Um, there's a, a group agency group called Kitty, didn't necessarily specialise in charity clients, but they offered to do some work for us at cost. And I think it was just that kind of willingness of the team. I think that the leadership team created a really strong culture of kind of can-do mentality, but measured. It wasn't it didn't feel panicked i think i, I felt very safe i think it was the, the environment that was created by the senior leadership team was a, a, one of kind of we can get through this um we just need to make sure that we're actively doing things and so we were able to kind of hit that sort of curve of vulturism quite quickly we had a trustee who was able to put um who's also a pediatric doctor um was able to put um a, a video together for us from inside a, a hospital setting and so we we'd done all that prep work about the fact that we'd done some really good sort of donor insight work with donor voice we'd done some really good work with open around sort of strategy and wanting to kind of lift the lid a little bit more so it just felt like a lot of those kind of components were, were ready and and were in place for us to kind of utilize them at that point at which health and what was going in in hospitals was obviously getting a huge amount of media coverage it was 
a very significantly successful appeal and I can't you know I can't take credit for that that was everybody within the organization had a really key role there was something about seeing those results come in we had we decided internally that we'd have a kind of weekly huddle where all the teams came together and Rachel Dory who's the the head of individual giving took great delight in kind of waiting and waiting and waiting to tell us how the appeal had done over that past sort of seven day cycle um and every every week it was just there was this kind of like oh this is amazing this is amazing um so then when we moved to start looking at developing other fundraising products it just gave the whole organization the confidence to know that what we were doing was working so yeah innovation agility we sort of really shifted from quite an introspective culture to a very building confidence of the team authentic messaging lifting the lid and i think the clarity of leadership from from our ceo down through the directors heads into managers through coordinators down to administrators was just amazing um and you felt like everybody was working together to achieve something with the maximum amount of success um and that's what i felt we we were able to do kev i don't know if you want to add anything to that at all um i think what i was going to add was around you you talked about case clear case for support so i joined in March or late March, right at this basically two weeks into lockdown, I think it was. <laughs> and um, you know, that the joys of joining an organization remotely and not meeting anyone, all that sort of stuff. But what was clear to me immediately was what a what an opportunity we had in terms of a real authenticity about the need for our work. Children were more isolated than ever. Even now, if a child goes in for what historically would have been a very simple operation they might have been in and out in a day they now have to isolate for a week before it and a week after it and whatever so children were were more isolated than ever and in more need of starlight support than ever so we we were able to be really authentic in our approach and in our uh, not just the appeal that sam spoke about but even the way we approached kind of major trusts and foundations um there was a bit of a there's a real willingness to get funds into the sector um and we kind of uh jumps to action for a better word and uh utilize those opportunities really well um and then the other thing i'll just add is uh trustee support we've got a fantastic board of trustees who uh, are not only very willing to help but have also got very useful uh connections and introductions that they can make and they really stepped up uh and continue to do so so that's been a real big help for us as well Thanks Sam and Kev that's really interesting to hear um particularly what you mentioned Sam around being well positioned to deal with the challenges um that were to come obviously prior to the pandemic and setting yourselves up well and obviously you weren't aware that covid-19 was going to hit us but that just goes to show that organizations need to be um set up well and well positioned to deal with any challenges that they face and that's one of the learnings that I think we'll take out of covid-19 this may be a difficult question to answer but what would you say is the top success in of the organization in the past 12 to 15 months what are you most proud of working at starlight that you think we've done an exceptional job and actually this can be used as an area of best practice to other organizations other fundraisers within our sector i think that probably the the framework that was put in place for us all to work to by the senior management team actually i think there was a lot of work put into 
budget scenarios. I think the induction and recruitment of staff throughout that period um, has led to a really, a really, really healthy relationship. And I think that's, I think that's been key is the kind of the amount of effort and energy that we continue to put into um, developing staff, coming up with, um, you know, the whole leadership team took part in Clifton Strengths training, which I wish someone had taken me through about 15, 20 years ago when I first started as a fundraiser, um, because it's just opened my eyes to that fact as a leader, you don't have to be good at everything. You just have to know what it is you're good at and have a level of self-awareness as to where you're going to need that support. And there was a lot of kind of focus on that within the leadership team, which was great. Um, we obviously had big moments throughout the whole kind of summer period where, you know, there was a refocus on, um, you know, what, what was working, what we were going to want to do in the lead up to Christmas. Um, and there was a, there was a decision that we would try an integrated campaign for the first time. Um, and that was, I think, really, really the moment for me that I would say I'm kind of proudest of mainly because my team was responsible for so many kind of components within that and that we set ourselves quite an ambitious target that again we're a you know based on the insight we got in what terms of what had happened in April um, with the appeal we really 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 did stretch ourselves and everybody rose to the challenge yet again and we surpassed that yet again that was the moment at which I kind of felt I, I couldn't go on. It, almost it was like kind of like a natural break that I just, I think that the, the organisation had really supported everybody for, through it. Um, speak for the line manager of myself and Kevin, in particular director of fundraising and marketing, Sarah Woods, who was really going the extra mile in terms of the kind of level of support she'd give through one-to-ones, check-ins, just kind of your emotional well-being and making sure you were there. And I think that that is where you see a trickle-down effect. I think if you've got that coming from your line manager as a head of, then you'll make sure that it trickles down into your, those that report into you. Kev, what about you? Because I know you've had tremendous success in the Trust and Foundations Fund. I don't know if you want to mention that. There is, there is one moment, actually. We, we got we got a uh, £100,000 gift last year. We got, well, we got four within a, a few months of each other. But one, one particular one, the highlight for me last year was a colleague of mine who messaged me Oh, having hearing that news just like I think her actual words were oh my god you're my hero <laughs> <laughs> because it was like that the difference that that is going to make for our families um yeah that that you know to, to go to work and to get a message like that from someone is incredibly um heartwarming and a reminder of why we why we fundraise in the first place but just more broader than that what I'm really proud of is the fact that we at the start of COVID, we I say we, I wasn't even I wasn't part of it, but we as Starlight created a, an integrated plan across the whole of the organization. And reflecting back 12 months later, we absolutely did what we said we were going to do. And from a from a transparency point of view and from a building relationship point of view, that is incredibly powerful and useful for me as a fundraiser to go back to some of those major supporters who have given us fifty thousand pounds, hundred thousand pounds and saying, look, this is what we said we were going to do. You've given us you've given us money to help us do that, but then we've absolutely followed through on on what we said we were going to do, and that's in terms of um, service delivery, but also just um, simple things, really. Like we just said, we were going to try and raise enough money to continue our services, and we've done that. And we've also developed new services. We've we're trialing virtual reality, which we kind of highlighted to some people as a real priority for for, for the year. So 
yeah, I think being able to go back to people and saying, you've helped us this year, this is everything that you've helped us to do. And it really follows the plan of exactly what we said we were going to do. I think that's really, really powerful and useful. Going back to the the kind of highlights, there were mo- there were particular moments. So there was a there was a member of my team um, called Amy Woodgate who is a is a community coordinator um, and has, uh, came to me in September saying, "Look, I've just attended this webinar. A company called Give Panel. They run these things called Facebook challenges. Um, could we include that? It was kind of a little bit late in the day, but could we include that as part of the the integrated campaign? Um, and that." absolutely was a major success in terms of part of that integrated campaign um, surpassing its target by about 30 percent and then the recognition internally i think that was given to, to, to staff so kev touching on that message he got from a team member um i nominated amy to win an award in our sort of we we, we continued a really good sort of social program as well actually the, the social committee within starlight did an amazing job with our christmas social um, we had like a murder mystery thing and everybody had roles to play in it and there were games and we got little parcels through the post but i just i would that kind of level of support was amazing but part of that um sort of christmas social was that we had an award ceremony to celebrate individuals i remember there was a particular moment where um i got a little parcel through the post because we, we've got one of the corporates that supports us is pladis who run mcvitties and i got a box of something like i can't remember what it was it was ridiculous it was like something like 50 jaffa cakes arriving in the post but just those moments really touching and bringing the kind of human side of the organization out and the fact that they they think about you beyond the fact that you're just there to function in a role absolutely and that culture does really shine through Sam, and it's important because if that that culture is embedded at the top of an organization, it starts to filter down very quickly um, and it starts to embed itself in the way you work as well, even though it's remote working. And we'll get into that a little bit later on. But what I wanted to now look at is Starlight's vision for the future. Prior to the pandemic, you've obviously already mentioned that the organization was well established and well positioned to move forward and face any challenge and also working together across different departments, which is key. But what do you see as the key opportunities that organisations need to be mindful of post-pandemic? What are the areas in which organisations should be investing in now and developing going forwards? I would say that one of the the most amazing experiences I've had at Starlight in terms of a sort of a process has been to review our budgeting process, which I think for a lot of fundraisers is often, especially if you're working in in sort of individual giving and and community, it's much more complex than any other area. Um, And we've kind of, we've developed a new iterative budget process, but we've also had, I think we've actually got five different scenarios that we've planned for this year, depending on what happens because obviously we're, we're planning this back into October, November time and then signing it off in January and prep for the financial year. Um, and I would say really look at that. And I think also look at, I remember attending, um, I think it was um, set up by the, the DSC, Department for Social Change um, in, in Holloway. I went to an event there probably two or three years ago and um, Mark Astorita was talking actually about the 7-7 bombings and then the Manchester bombings. And was saying, actually, if it hadn't been for the fact that there were people at the British Red Cross 
who had been there in in when the seven seven bombings hit London, they would that that knowledge would not have been there for when they needed to react to the Manchester bombings. It wasn't it wasn't there wasn't a file there wasn't a manual or a go to, and I think one of the things that we're 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 working on internally at the moment is like what we've been through. Hopefully, touch wood, it's not likely to happen again. But we've been successful at getting ourselves through it, and we need to kind of almost leave that as a legacy for the organisation moving forward so that if something like this does happen again, they've got a go-to manual as to how the organisation was able to get through it in the year we've just gone through. And the other is just don't give up on innovation. Organisations need to allow staff and teams to work as flexibly as they possibly can. I think for me, it's building on what Sam said, it's about now is the time for systemic change. If you want to do something transformational, there's probably never been a bigger opportunity, whatever that system might be for you. So that, you know, depending on what sector you're working in, it could be different things. But for us, it's probably the access or enabling access for seriously or children to have access to play. We Now is the time. Like we've we've been in a bit of a, crisis mode we've been you know children have been more isolated than ever as i've sort of said before but in terms of looking forward it's been 20 years since the department of health have recommended that children have daily access to a play specialist whilst they're in hospital and that's the you know there's there's some places that's happening great but there's still great inequality in that in that access and that provision so i think with covid there has rightly been a been a you know an emergency response if you like let's just keep going as we were let's let's sustain our programs what we've currently been delivering but as i say now it feels like now is the time if you if you want something to change now is the time to ripple up and think well you know we used to do it that way we're not going to do it that way anymore we're going to do it this way and um as i say that what that actual thing is what that system is can be almost anything you want it to be you know it's going to vary from from person to person from sector to sector but um yeah i think that's that's the big thing is if you want if you want to achieve change now is the time to jump on that opportunity we know in the last year starlet has been very successful but there's no doubt that covid19 has presented us with unprecedented challenges and that's what i want to touch on now We've seen organisations across the sector have many different challenges, smaller charities, medium-sized charities and larger charities. What are the key challenges that Starlight has faced over the last 12 months and how have you overcome these challenges? It would be great if you can offer us any top tips and insights into that. So if other charities or charity leaders are listening, they're able to incorporate this into their own work and within their own organisations. Yeah, I mean, I'll, I'll kick off if that's okay, Kev. But I think probably during the summer, there was certainly a cut, you know, George Floyd happening, and that got people sort of focusing and talking about different things. Um, diversity came up within, within the team quite a lot, and the challenges of kind of diversity of thought. And I, I do think the sector, you know, you look at groups like Charity So White and the, the kind of the, the discussions that they're, they're hopefully making all organisations have. Um, I think it's I think it's something that we've we've really thought about, like at a very, very deep level from sort of our brand through to the diversity of thought in decision making through to the recruitment of staff, um, you know, the show the salary movement. Um, I think all those things have been given time 
And again, going back to what I said right at the beginning, I think our senior leadership team has been absolutely amazing in creating space for the whole organisation to be able to think and feed into that thought process. So you, from the off, you've got buy-in. It's not something that's kind of a tick box exercise. It's it's literally you're building kind of strategic models and um, processes to take forward from the off with everybody's kind of thought process being in. And I think one of the most, I was unaware of this program called Charity Works um, until I came to Starlight. And I think over the last 12 months in particular, or maybe 18 months, I've seen, I'm just trying to think of the top of my head. And I, I think there's about five or six individuals that have come into the organization through that scheme. Um, and I have been absolutely blown away by the standard of work that they produce, um, whether that's very sporadic interactions with somebody that's working in, a, in another team, whether it's somebody that works in a team that I work really closely with, like the brand comms team has somebody that, that, that started through the charity works um, placement scheme. I think the, the, the diversity of thought that's come through individuals in particular that have come through that placement, when we've been talking about sort of diversity in particular, we've got an EDI action group um, and um, there's a member of the charity, there's two members of um, that action group that have come through the charity work scheme. They've, they've just, it's, it's the amount of um, value they have to add. And I think it, what's really lovely is that it's just, it's genuine and authentic. You know, as much as, as much as that's been a challenge and it's, and it's kind of presented some really challenging conversations internally, I think the way in which it's been managed and facilitated from the top down again is just, I've said it before, but I just think it's really testament to the fact that Starlight have got so much right. Yeah, I'm, I'm really pleased you mentioned the aspect of diversity, Sam, because it's so important. And Kev, it goes back to your earlier point in in terms of if the sector wants to genuinely make transformational change, this is one area where it's long, long overdue. And we all know the benefits of diversity, including diversity of thought, Sam, that you've mentioned as well. But also, if we're really to be here for children now and in the future, and in order to solve some of the challenges we have to solve then we're going to need diversity of thought around the table in order to action that um, to come up with new innovative ideas to think and engage with different diverse communities and being able to have a nuanced understanding of how different communities can interact with an organization and that goes from a fundraising perspective but that's also brand in terms of how a charity positions themselves in the market and what I've been really impressed by over the last 12 to 18 months is the work of Charity So White and other organizations that have really questioned our sector and asked really difficult questions. And I'm really pleased to see the level of engagement that has happened as a result. And, you know, there are still many organizations that, that are out there that are not doing so well. But I think if, if we don't get it right now, it's going to have a detrimental impact for our sector, but more importantly, our beneficiaries in the years to come, and we really need to um, get this sorted now. And it's not it's not only racial and ethnic diversity; it's the other areas of diversity. For example, disability. How many trustees in our sector would identify as being disabled? We need all voices around the table. Same with LGBTQ plus. You know, same for um, 
any other area. And your second point, Sam, which I really like is around training and development of your team, because working in the sector for eight years and the experience that Sam, you and Kev, you bring to the sector, we know that an organization is only as good as the people it employs. And, you know, no one is at an, no one person is at an organization for, you know, 10, 20, 30 years. And I think development of staff is so important. Um, so I think those two points really hit the nail on the head. And how about you, Kev? What were, in your view, the key challenges at Startlight facing the Lush and what were some of the ways in which you've, you've overcome them? Sort of similar or certainly on the same kind of track. I think one of the biggest things we've had to overcome is that uh, disconnection, to want a better word. Everyone's, you know, Starlight 15 months ago, was everyone was in the office pretty much every day, full time. Going through a remote workforce was a challenge and, you know, keeping people engaged and connected. But one of the great ways that Starlight has done that, um, I think we're not a we're not a top-down organisation. There was, you know, in crisis mode, there was a plan put together by SMT, but as Sam's already kind of said, the staff take control of that plan. And something that we've done quite recently, actually, is um, a very specific piece of work. We, For a friend of mine, we were introduced to an organisation who specialise in artificial intelligence. And we held a workshop uh, with a really diverse group of staff. So it was me, it was the CEO, it was the Director of Children's Services, and then we had some less senior staff, shall we say, from across the organisation. So fundraising, marketing, we had our innovation coordinator was there, like really good mix of people, ages, demographics, are, you know, really diverse. In terms of Starlight, it was as diverse a group as it could be, really. And um, what's come out of that is, so the, the workshop was all about designing a sprint process, so the outcome of that workshop, or those two workshops, should I say, was the staff, the less senior staff, were basically tasked with go away, identify a problem, come up with a question about how might we improve this problem, go away, work on it in a in a sprint process, which is really short, sharp, like the whole group together, but for like four to five minutes a week, just like making decisions. And then next week, we have a every week we have an all staff huddle, which again is a great thing for connection. Staff get to hear about what's going on in the organization. And next week of that huddle, we're going to hear the result of that team's work. Um, and they're going to make a suggestion to the organization to improve some, I don't know what it's going to be. We're, we're, we're excitingly waiting to find out, but they're going to make a recommendation for the, for the organization to change something. Um, but what I think is what the feedback that I've heard from that group of people is it's been amazing just working together and no one's had their own agenda. No one's had, oh, well, we need to improve this because it's going to help me. Everyone's just thought, right, what are we going to do to help Starlight? So it's a total clean slate and people have been open and have asked the right questions and have challenged each other. Um, and I think, I hope that's led to those staff feeling empowered and important to Starlight because they really are. And as Sam sort of said, some of those people, the intelligence level of some of these people, it's just like they're younger than me, but they're talking about stuff and I've got absolutely no idea. Like It's well above my cognitive ability. Um, so just the intelligence and the sharpness and the um, the ability of some of the team is absolutely phenomenal. And um, I hope, I, well, I really believe that Starlight is a great place to develop those people um give them the chance to shine really um i know sam's sam spoke about how engaged he is with the charity works program and 
the way that he the way that he works with that program and the staff on that on that program is uh, is really uh, inspirational for people. I think he's a very senior member of staff, but he um, his door's always open to anyone, and he's always willing to give some coaching or support or mentoring, and that really does go for the whole organisation. It really does feel like a, an open door policy, and um, everyone will help everyone. It's one team um, working together. That's really positive to hear. And we've we've touched on the importance of the organisational culture and that, how that's allowed you to thrive in COVID-19, not only survive. I want you to now move on to the other side of the coin in terms of how does that translate into the programmes and services that you deliver. How do you engage with your service users, with your children, with your families to ensure that the programmes that you do deliver really meet the needs of the intended audience? something that we we know is really important um and it's something that we need to we're, we're doing okay but we need to do better we need to reach those hidden voices we need to reach those communities that need us most uh we've recently signed up to uh, a platform called recollective which enables children it will enable us to pose questions and children to feedback on that platform and that's around all of our services what you know what we're delivering so for instance we provide boost boxes and tops which are kind of uh boxes of toys puzzles arts and crafts all kinds of stuff so it's a way of us making sure that they're fit for purpose and they can have as large an impact as possible um, and as a result of feedback we've already so we just have we used to have one boost box and already we've amended it so now we've now got a sensory boost box so it's particular items that can help children with sensory needs there's different age groups within that so just that it's a very it's a very minor thing um one of the biggest things that children and families have told us would improve the hospital experience is improved use of technology so i touched earlier that we've uh, we're about to we're, well, we're in the middle of a trial of virtual reality in the hospital uh, in Leeds, and we're very much hopeful that the insight from that is going to enable us to to roll that out in some form across the UK. Uh, as a as a result of that partnership, they've actually allowed us to help design a, a new entrance to the hospital to make that really child friendly. So, as part of that, we've got kind of augmented reality, and there's a there's a river flowing through the the the, the ward, and it, it looks it's going to look amazing. I'm sure it is. Um, We've also created a, an impact and insights team. So we've actually got someone on the Charity Works program is our uh, insights coordinator. So she designs all of our uh, feedback surveys and we're developing a Starlight Ambassadors program, which is designed to create a point of contact uh, within hospitals with a real desire to understand that hospital, that community, what services does that community most need from Starlight? but then also enable us to better capture impact and outcomes and what what, are, what is the difference we're making for that for those communities. So um, there's work for us to do, I'm sure, but it really feels like we're kind of moving in the right direction and really understanding, as I said earlier, and amplifying those kind of hidden voices of seriously or children is uh, a real strategic priority for Starlight over the next 12 months. And I'm sure we will make even greater strides, you know, in that uh, in that field over the next twelve months. Yeah, I just I just add to that. I think there were two key things for me. Well, actually, three. I think we facilitate in the in the huddles that Kev mentioned earlier, um, which we have every week. Um, we've we've 
often we've, we've at times had um, a service user or a kind of conduit of our service users in terms of a health play specialist come in and talk to us about the impact of our work, which I think is it's been really beneficial for the team to remind them of what we're doing. Um, I think sometimes you can kind of lose sight of that a little bit when you're really focused on, on trying to get something to, you know, whether it's a new product or whether it's a process that you're working on. I think it's just that kind of reminder that that this is what we're doing this for. Um, and I think we've got a new um, head of hospital services that started just before Christmas that's kind of shifted us from, I would say, quite a reactive um, service provision model where we would have waited for somebody to request our service and then provided it to being very proactive and marketing our services, which saw a huge rise in um, our services actually getting out there over Christmas. And then I'd say actually one of the key um, kind of changes probably came off the back of the grant that you won, Kev, um, for kind of making sure that the areas of deprivation were being provided with our services. And that allowed us to really sort of delve a lot deeper into our, into identifying where those where those sort of health professionals and where those those places of health health service were, were positioned. So it's kind of opened the door to us kind of identifying where we should be targeting our services to ensure that those most at need are, are being provided with them as well, which has been really important. I don't know if you want to just talk about that a little bit more, Kev, because you're obviously closer to it than I was. Yeah, I mean, so there's 64% um, of hospital admissions come from areas of higher deprivation. Um, so we recognise that. And as Sam said, historically, because we reacted to services, there was a, there was a risk that our, some of our services were monopolised by larger hospitals that had more resource to seek more resource out. So we we really were aware of that. And when I started, it was in terms of strategic priorities. It was right. Let's how do we shift that? Um, so we did. We consulted with health professionals, and they said, "Well, actually, if you provide if you provide more of a, a bundle of services." you know a real critical mass of services in one go to us that's going to be much better than us uh, asking so we, yeah we've reached out and as part of that's so that's what's led to the uh development of the starlight ambassadors program that i talked about earlier it's kind of that grant um that's kind of seed funded that idea really and that's enabled us to build those relationships reach out and build those relationships with health professionals in those areas of deprivation that sounds great Kevin, Sam, um, really important work and I'm sure work that will continue to go on. We've discussed the opportunities, the challenges and the successes of Starlight within the last 12, 18 months. But what's the plan for the future? Where does Starlight see itself as an organisation in the next five years? I think that Starlight wants to position itself as an organisation that is about protecting play um, and providing those opportunities to children often in situations where they're facing levels of isolation social and um you know sometimes from their own family especially over the last um 12 months um i think that we will definitely be developing the tools in partnership with those that use them um and i think that's really really important um I think that we will probably start looking at ways in which we can still, I think one of the most important things that Kev touched on earlier is that kind of level of shared experience and the, the sense that if you meet people who are going through a similar experience to you, 
often it can be it can be really rewarding um so that kind of that sense of almost creating a, a sort of an alumni of families and children that we've helped who can then help the children and families that we're we're working with to kind of come through that and i guess kind of just basic interaction with somebody you know there's nothing like talking to somebody that's been through something you're currently going through to kind of feel reassured slightly or to kind of know that it's okay and that you can get through this um, no matter what the tragedy levels might be as you're actually going through it yourself i think tech is really key um i i, I kind of think in terms of services delivery aspects i think tech and augmented reality from a fundraising perspective i think it's going to be about um continual kind of innovation i think that one of my biggest bugbears with the sector is this kind of keep going keep going keep going keep going oh goodness we can't keep going now we need massive step change um i think there just needs to be that gradual sense of constantly evolving um and that's definitely a conversation i had with Kathy our ceo before i even sort of was offered the job at starlight um and that really really um resonated with me it was it was kind of just something that made me think that's a, that, you know if that's the way the organization is thinking at the top that's that's key to me sort of moving in i've heard lots of you know I touched on it earlier but people talking about kind of let's go back to how things were um there's a guy called Paul Courtney um from southwest i know through the iof um and he was talking he he gave a brilliant quote on on twitter recently just saying stop saying digital is just going to be this kind of phase and that we're going to go back to doing everything the way that we used to i think that there's a kind of hybrid model um and that you know i i of all people need to see people face to face you know i started in face to face fundraising i'm a social butterfly i love networking i love the opportunity to spontaneously meet someone in town so i believe in all of that continuing but I, I don't want to see that neglect happening around kind of tech and digital from a fundraising perspective either i think it's really important that we see that continue to evolve and i think the beauty of it is how those big tech organizations are evolving and catering for our needs so things like this facebook product um with the facebook fundraisers you know for for an organization like facebook to turn around and provide that is 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 that they're listening they realize that that is you know whether it's an altruistic thing or whether it's a a commercial objective um but i think it's really key to understand that if you've got organizations like facebook working with the sector to provide them with the tools to fundraise you should use them because it you know they know better than anyone where people are and whether they're likely to give and the potential that they have to give um So yeah I mean I you know the strategic aim is to kind of continue to build our audience and 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 fundraise through them but I think the really nice thing for me is that I finally find myself in a position where I feel really supported from the top um but I also feel really supported from my team and I feel really supported by um Kevin actually the, the the one thing that I would like to touch on is that over the last 12 months I've I've learned far more about um the kind of corporate trusts made a donor side of the fundraising um because i have always traditionally worked in that kind of high volume ig side from agency all the way through my kind of my my actual charity career as well and i think it's that kind of sense of really understanding that pipeline again um i think there's been a kind of an industry built around individual giving from agencies that like the one i worked for at te- for 10 years that has kind of trapped supporters in a kind of a really bad cycle of supporter experience um that you know it's kind of literally get them on a direct debit 
keep asking a little bit more from them every year on that direct debit. And when they drop off, try and reactivate them back onto that direct debit again. And I think what's been really nice, and we've seen successes with it, even within the last kind of two weeks, where we're spotting individuals that don't belong in an individual giving cycle, and we're moving them to where they do belong so that we can maximise the amount of income that comes from them. For me, I think Starlight, is the way I sometimes describe Starlight, is it's a bit like a startup with a history. We're very agile and very able to respond in the here and now, but we've got 35 years of experience of working with children and young people. We've got a tremendous reputation within the NHS. People love working with Starlight. Um, and where I think Starlight's going in the next five years is where I hope we're going to be, is we're going to be seen as a, as a valuable partner to a number of people, whether that's the NHS, whether that's specific settings, whether that's corporate partners, whether that's philanthropists. I think we're, we're, we're seen already as an organisation that can have immediate impact for children. But I think we always keep a long-term view in mind as well. And I think that's really important for for developing those deeper relationships it's uh okay if we help you do this that's great but you know what's next kind of thing how is that going to help long term um and just very briefly i think some priorities for the next kind of next couple of years at least is further development of that starlight ambassadors program that we talked about and increasing our proactive offers to areas of most deprivation innovating and piloting new services sam's already touched on kind of tech and We've talked about virtual mixed realities, fitness, all those kind of things. Um, it's really embedding participation and co-production of services, uh, publishing research reports on hidden voices of serious ill children and the impact technology can have on that, um, considering the potential role we can play in policy and current affairs, protecting a child's right to play, even in the most challenging of circumstances, highlighting inequalities in provision between hospitals and access to play and really raising awareness of the importance and value of health play specialists and potentially proposing solutions in the NHS for improving the well-being and hospital, hospital experience for children. And it's going to be hard. COVID is going to have a long-term impact in, in our world, certainly. Um, but I think there is real uh, opportunity uh, alongside that as well. And we'd like to end with two quick fire questions. So what is one thing you both love about the sector? And what is one area in particular you feel that we need to improve on? Sam, do you want to go first? Yeah, so um, I, I get really frustrated with duplication. Um, so I, I think there's a lot of duplication across the sector. And I think the Charity Commission has a role to play in stopping that um signposting those that want to set a new charity up to one that already exists um so that would be my my frustration and my kind of passion for it is that it's full of good people um and there's good people continuing to come through like i've touched on through the charity work scheme through the individuals that i'm working with who are you know just beginning their career in the sector they want to change the world and make it a better place it's that simple and i just love it for that i think it's brilliant so that's how quick I was, Kev. <laughs> and you stole and you stole my answer. Duplication is mine. Um I think we yeah. agreed that we agreed oh, on that though, didn't we, we? We did briefly talk about it and uh, yeah, we both that was just what we both said that we you know there's a lot of wasted time and energy. Charities are set up and with great intentions and people want to, you know, to 
change the world and they set up a charity to do that and actually what i'd really advocate is people go and find out someone that's doing something similar and go and volunteer or go and work in some way with them and support what they're trying to do but i think alongside that it's look at let's look at ourselves let's not to be too critical of people setting up charities it's about are the charities that are already in existence are they accessible enough do people if people want to impact do they feel they can go and volunteer at their local center or whatever it is they're trying to do so whether we need to look at that i think accessibility and inclusivity um it's definitely something we need to we need to look at um and then yeah sector what do i love about it it's it is that it's, well it's what i almost just criticized about it's that it's that ability to affect change i've worked for them amazing i've worked i mean i the best story i had is i used to work for a criminal justice charity and i worked i worked for this kid who was in prison and he was being bullied and he, he basically grasped as the term would be he, something happened in the prison and he grasped on who did it and from that moment on he was bullied and we kind of looked after him and cared for him and on his day of release from prison i took him to his mum and his mum hugged she didn't she didn't hug me first she hugged uh, she didn't hug him first she hugged me first and in my age just went thank you for looking after my son and you just think you know what a what a privilege for someone to have said that to you in your working life and i think that for me is the best thing about that sector you can you can almost not forget about the red tape but there doesn't feel like there's so many limitations it's almost you know if, if something's the right thing to do you should absolutely do it and um that's what I love about the sector. Yeah, absolutely spot on. And despite all of the challenges within our sector, the red tape and the list goes on, but at the very core, we're here to improve people's lives um, and improve the way things work and impact thousands and millions of people in some cases, which is a fantastic privilege and honour to do that um, and to play a small part in that is, is amazing. Um, Kev, Sam, it's been an absolute pleasure talking to you both today and we could spend hours talking even more but just want to say a huge thank you to you both and I'm sure we'll we'll have many more conversations in the future but thanks a lot again. Thank you Usman, it's been really really lovely, thank you. Yeah, thanks for having us on mate, really appreciate it. It was a pleasure speaking with Sam and Kev today and to learn ways in which Starlight have not only survived, but thrived during the challenges of the last 12 to 15 months. Thank you for listening, and that leads me to thank our corporate sponsors. Charity People, our platinum sponsor. Giant Squid Audio Lab for sponsoring our podcast kit. Magda Aksumit for our website design. RR Yard Photography for our pro bono images. And Forrester Fools who have been playing throughout and are playing us out now. <laughs>